0: If there was a modern day Rip Van Winkle who went to sleep decades ago, back when it was still normal to define family as a married mom and a dad and maybe a couple of kids, and then woke up in today's society and saw things like thruples, three people of the same sex being defined as a marriage, well, after he got over the shock, he might wonder how in the world did we get to this point? We're gonna talk about that today. Welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family, and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman, and I'm joined today by our president, Victoria Cobb. Well, Victoria, I hear you've been on pickup duty lately when it comes to being the one to pick up your kids at school. And this has kind of been like sort of a relay race. Yeah, you know, I mean, my to my daughter, she got her first job at Chick-fil-A
1: and she has a shift that starts at 4 p.m. And so what she's doing is literally bribing my little kids. Whoever gets gets out to her first, gets in the car first, gets a milkshake when she leaves work because she wants them in the car and wants us off so that she is not even close to being late for her shift. So Yeah, because there's
0: four kids you have to pick up. <laughs> and so it's like, are they all at different locations? Yeah, right?
1: I mean, the little kids, are sort of in a different building, and then there's the whole get to the car and battle over who sits in what seat, you know, parent chaos, you know, it is what it
0: is. So Elizabeth needs that incentive to get to Chick-fil-A on time. It has worked.
1: (laughs) I give her points for coming up with something creative. They're now moving much faster to the car.
0: That's (laughs) awesome. Now, it's also given you some great opportunities as a mom to really have insight into your kid's heart, right? Yeah,
1: I would say that picking up children from school is such a valuable time. I hope parents don't overlook it because it is that moment where kids are fresh off their day. And they're giving you the good and the bad right after it happened, and I, I get the best conversations, I get the sweetest moments, I get, you know, the, you know, travesty of whatever social situation happened that day, or the unfair test, or whatever. But parents need that, and you get that in that wonderful moment. I love that.
0: You know, we've been highlighting over the last few weeks how cancel culture has really reached out of control levels. We now see people trying to censor everything from Dr. Seuss to Looney Tune characters. But on a more serious note. This is affecting Christians right where they live, especially if you dare to uphold a biblical viewpoint on sexuality. Because whether you're a Christian teacher in a public school, or a student attending college, or an employee, the reality is, if you say the wrong thing about sexuality or gender identity, your job is probably on the chopping block, and you might also lose your ability to graduate from college. Where do you think all this is going, Victoria?
1: Well, I think we're heading really quickly towards totalitarian levels of thought control. And honestly, I saw an example of this in this year's General Assembly session. We actually saw a bill introduced that was called the Workplace Harassment Bill. Now, what you got to understand is harassment is not how we think of it. It's now any words or actually in this bill, it was verbal or nonverbal, anything that offends someone is for harassment. If you have a viewpoint that someone doesn't like, and this bill literally would have penalized somebody for something verbal, nonverbal, something that was in the workplace, not even always in the workplace, and get this, whether it was intentional or not even intentional, if you made a statement that offended somebody, you were gonna get, get canceled, or actually in this case, have government penalize you. And the point of this all is just to say that we're at the point, this was like the, I call it the social media bill. This was to try to basically say, if you're a Christian and you put something about your faith or you have a a political view I don't like, I'm going to be able to do something about it. That's the place that we've gotten to. Thankfully, the bill
0: died, but that's the ideas in our legislature right now. So how is it we got to this crazy level in our society right now? Well, we just have to realize America is a pluralistic society.
1: But we used to, the only way you survive with everyone having different views and coming from different backgrounds is we used to value the idea. And we used to say, I don't have to agree with what you believe or what you say, but I'm going to defend your right to say that, to believe that. He's a philosopher. He's a professor out of Princeton. This guy named Peter Singer. His actual view is that you don't have personhood until you can make a conscious decision, yes or no, right or wrong. So literally, he does not think children, basically under the age of one or two, our people, Now, this is the exact opposite of what we believe about people being people in the womb. This guy has, what I would argue, a very offensive and very dangerous view, but his right to have that view, as long as he doesn't act on it, is something that should be protected, whether I think it is absolutely reprehensible or not. Yeah. That's America, and it's painful sometimes, but it's America. Now, what's happened is we've gone from that to even a place where where someone's actions are becoming a bigger deal based on what they believe. We're, we're caring about what people think. It used to be the case, if you killed somebody, the only thing our law looked at was simply, was, was there intention behind it? That made the difference between whether it was manslaughter or first degree murder. Did you intend to kill somebody or did you hit them accidentally on the street or something? Th- that made a difference. But what your, your belief was behind murdering somebody, that didn't used to matter. But we created hate crimes and we said, You're going to kill somebody, and I'm going to care why you killed them, not just that you killed them. I used to tell the General Assembly, if you get to the point that you're murdering somebody, there's a lot of hate. It doesn't really matter why, and we should give you the full penalties of the law. But when we start reaching into people's thoughts and penalizing them according to what they believe, we've headed down a very scary road.
0: Yeah. And so now we're at this level where people are taught that expressing a viewpoint is a form of violence, and... Therefore, that you have the right to eradicate that from the public square because it is actually the same thing as violence. They see no difference between that and violence or action.
1: Now, here's where it goes. It goes to the place of, guess who, guess who the offensive people are now in society? Mm-hmm. It's Christians. It's yeah. people have views, back to your point, on sexuality and marriage. So now our views... Our our perspective, especially if it comes out in any words on our Facebook page, or if heaven forbid we share the gospel with someone in a in a setting that someone doesn't you know overhears or thinks it's offensive, then all of a sudden we've committed something that is an action that is more than just I'm I don't like your words, and uh, the law is being used to to come after people.
0: I just can't help thinking, how do we keep ending up here? Do people I don't understand why we don't learn from history. We've all heard this scary stories about Big Brother. Um, we all know about, well, maybe we don't all know, but history clearly tells us millions of people murdered under these total, uh, totalitarian regimes. And yet we're still going down this path. I mean, is this, just get back to... Uh, maybe man's desire for for power outside of a redemptive perspective? What's going on here? Oh,
1: sure. It's human nature to want everybody to have to agree with you. We're narcissists. We want Our views are right and everybody must comply. And if you don't have Jesus, then, then that's, that's a very secular, scary kind of viewpoint that you're trying to get everybody to comply with. If you don't understand his love and his redemptive power and what his vision for mankind is, and you try to impose a secular view on everyone else, harm comes. And unfortunately, to your point, yes, history is replete with examples of where this ends. But if the younger generation didn't learn history, which we're finding out is the case, it wasn't deep in our schools. They really don't know about these examples throughout history. And I think people envision this all coming in through a military. That's how I viewed viewed totalitarianism. We're going to have a government and with a military, they would smack you down if you were, you know, somebody they didn't agree with. Well, we're seeing it comes in in a lot of different ways, subtle policies in government and through social pressure.
0: Thanks for tuning in. If you're just now joining us for Speak Up Virginia, brought to you by the Family Foundation. For more information about us or the topics we're addressing, you can visit familyfoundation.org. That's familyfoundation.org. All right, we covered some of the ways that we've gotten to this point with the cancel culture. But let's talk a little bit about what's happening with the complete redefinition and really Total disintegration in a lot of ways of the biblical definition of family in our culture. I mean, it just seems like we're getting bombarded with the most disturbing headlines. There was the one on CNN that ran recently about the so-called Threpple. Three men that were fighting for the right to be recognized as parents on children's birth certificate. And I think they won that right. And then I saw the other day another story. I think it was in the New York Times, two gay men who were recognized as being married, but now they're getting divorced and they're fighting over their frozen embryos that were created through artificial insemination. I mean, it's just getting crazy. We are really getting into that Brave New World level here.
1: Yeah, I cannot help but tell you that when we were debating the marriage amendment in Virginia 15 years ago, we would say, we're going to get to this crazy point with marriage. And people would look at us like we're nuts. No one's pushing for polygamy. No one's pushing for weird marriages. And we'd say, you can't, if you change the traditional definition, you can't ever say that there's a reason why we have just two people in marriage, for example.
0: So again, the question is, how in the world did we get here? And I think you could say there's both social and policy elements of how we got to this point.
1: Oh, Without a doubt, on the policy end, there has been a well-executed plan by those that support the LGBT agenda that walked through court cases and policy and have gotten us to the point where now it's it's almost hard to be able to stop any understanding of a relationship and calling it a marriage. And there, there's the, the social component. There may have been a loss of the vision that is in scripture of marriage in our churches. Um, scripture is so clear that marriage is a union between Christ and his bride. That It is supposed to be a visual, a, a, a demonstration of that beautiful thing. And yet somehow I honestly am not convinced that our churches have been painting that vision and i think we've fallen a little into this idea that marriage is about how we feel who we love an emotional state rather than a covenantal commitment that we make before god once we lose that vision inside the church Mm -hmm. how can we dare to tell the world that marriage is more than simply how people feel or what they do in their bedroom
0: yeah i was thinking about how when my husband and i got married maybe some 200 people were there because we waited till later in life so we wanted everyone there in a church, we're um, signing the documents, and later when we went through hard things like everybody does, I remember thinking, I, "I'm there's something about the community being involved in our marriage, us making a pledge before God and people, because it, it doesn't just affect us, um, and we are supported. But now, some—I mean, you know—so many of my friends, it's—it is just about um, them and their private feelings, and so of course, it would be easy to get divorced because that's all at stake now. It's, yeah. If it's just about feelings, then yeah, it comes and goes. We know that our feelings are not truth. Well, how do we get ourselves on the road back? How do we start? You know. Um, taking a a redemptive step in a different direction. Well, we need the church to paint a beautiful
1: vision of marriage like Christ and the bride. We need the church to be strong on this. We need people to live out their faith, to walk through and stay in hard marriages, because that is a testimony to God. That is actually what brings him glory. So we got to start there. And then we've got to be strong in how we speak secularly about marriage, that it is about more than two people, that it is about children, that it is about society, and that there are impacts when families fall apart, when um, when marriage happens outside of God's definition.
0: Mm-hmm. I pray God will give us, um, in his mercy, the ability to portray that vision God originally had, um, that people's fulfillment is not in what government can do for you or your self gratification. Cause we are so, we are seeing so much disillusionment in that just nationwide. I think that's where we're seeing a lot of the tension and violence, disillusionment, and these things not being able to fulfill. So I just pray we'll be able to share that vision that the Bible gives us uh, of what it is to find our identities and our relationships in him, biblically speaking. Well, it's that time again, time for our Inconceivable Moments Award, where we're featuring examples of the absolute lunacy and craziness that happens when cultural leaders try to give guidance completely apart from biblical principles. And we're calling this the Liberals' Most Inconceivable Moments Award. Inconceivable. well one headline that's been dominating the news lately is the fda the federal food and drug administration has decided to hot at least for now the johnson and johnson covid vaccine because they found that several women had developed these rare blood clots after taking it now i think so far we're really talking about maybe six cases of women keeping in mind that there's been about seven million americans that have taken the johnson and johnson vaccine total Now, what's interesting about this is that around the exact same time, the FDA made another key decision. They decided to sanction chemical abortions via telemedicine and mail, meaning people don't even have to physically see a doctor now to get an abortion.
1: Yeah, just for some perspective here, you have the FDA halting an entire vaccine operation in the middle of a pandemic because of a minuscule number of cases that, to be fair, could indicate the possibility of larger danger. But statistically speaking, we have significantly higher risks associated with women getting chemical abortions. According to a Federalist article that pointed out this irony, the FDA's own reporting has shown that chemical abortions have led to 24 maternal fatalities, more than 4,000 adverse medical reactions, and hundreds of hospitalizations and severe infections.
0: Yeah, why is it that those risks can be completely overlooked, but not with the vaccine? It really does seem political and hypocritical. And so I think it's definitely an example of sacrificing science to politics. So we definitely have to give the FDA this week's Inconceivable Award. Thanks for joining us for this week's Speak Up, Virginia, brought to you by the Family Foundation. Visit us at familyfoundation.org. That's familyfoundation.org. See you next time. And don't forget, we are stronger when we speak together.